Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that we can come each week together as your family, Lord, to go over it, to, to listen to it, to uh, absorb it as your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we ask your Holy Spirit to reveal things to us that we haven't seen or understood before, we ask you to bless your word now as we, Lord, look into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do we think when we read such a thing as as what we did from Jesus in Luke 13, 1 through 9. What was Jesus saying to the people who told him about the miserable end of these misfortunate Galileans looking for Jesus's reaction? Perhaps they were thinking that Jesus would make a distinction between them and others who had great sin, who ended up that way because of it. But Jesus did not make that distinction. He basically said something like that could happen to anyone. And he added that the tower that fell crushing 18 to, de to death was from natural causes and rather random. You see, the people who Jesus was talking to, they were stuck in the law of blessings and curses from Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 28, but Jesus was bringing in the new covenant law of the spirit and of relationship with him. And he was basically saying, everyone with unrepentant sin is in the same boat because sin is sin. The type of sin or the gravity of it is irrelevant. It is all rebellion against God. But there is something about repentance of sins which gains favor with God. Now, especially because Jesus came to pay for our sin. Well, what about the parable that Jesus followed up with? It seems with that, that Jesus was saying that God is a God of second chances, especially when there is someone interceding. But he was also saying that there is a limit. Don't push it. Now, does that parable apply to non-Christians and Christians alike? I want to look at that a little bit. What about when misfortune comes to Christians? What's up with that? Is God punishing us? Sometimes it seems so, especially when there is known sin that we haven't repented of. And sometimes we may have said words of repentance without really being repentant. Would we do, diff would we do things differently the next time? That's what shows whether it is true repentance or not. Are we only repentant because of God's discipline or are we repentant because we realize we hurt the heart of God who loves us? God will not bless us if there is unrepentant sin in our lives, that's for sure. And as his children, he will discipline us until we realize that in the end, sin never pays. Of course, when bad things happen to Christians, 
it does not always relate to sin or to disobedience. It sometimes only relates to our learning to patiently trust God through adversity, as the psalmist said in today's psalm. And sometimes, as in the case of premature death, it is simply our time to go. And we can think of saints in our lifetime who were martyred for their faith in other parts of the world, or saints like Keith Green who were simply taken away before they reached the normal age of death. We can also think of saints in the not-so-distant past, like my hero Oswald Chambers, or Eric Liddell, or martyrs like Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Jim Elliott, whose lives were taken early when they seemed to have so much more to offer to this world. And we can think of those in Bible times like John the Baptist and James, the brother of John the Apostle. Their lives were cut short, as was Jesus's, because it was God's sovereign will. Now let's turn our attention to Acts 12, which reads, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. So here is this wicked man, Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great, who massacred the innocent children of Bethlehem. And he is also the nephew of Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist killed. And all these Herods were part Jew, and they were put in charge by Rome, and they were always trying to keep a balance between the Roman Emperor and the Jewish, Jewish people who they ruled and thus keep their own positions of power intact. And Christians, of course, were not in the favor of either Rome or the Jewish leaders, so it was easy for Herod Agrippa to execute the Christian leaders and by doing so both uh, please both parties. He obviously saw Christians as troublemakers because they called out sin and they weren't in step with the religious hierarchy of Jerusalem or Rome. Being enlightened to Jesus as Lord, they no longer submitted to either of the other authorities as the ultimate authority. So when Herod Agrippa I started harassing them, when he killed James, one of their leaders, and saw how that pleased the Jewish leaders, he then had Peter arrested with the same intentions. He was pleasing the people in power in order to keep his own power. But what has always bothered me about this story is, is God's sovereign unpredictability. And what do I mean by that? Well. What about this wicked man, Herod Agrippa I? What baffles me the most is that God later on killed him 
because he did not give glory to God. God did not kill him for killing his servant James, but later on in Acts 12, we are told this. On a set day, Herod, arrayed in his royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. God does not share his glory with mortals. And we can only wonder why God does not kill the world's Herods and Hitlers before they commit their heinous crimes against innocent humans who God loves. We may never know why that is. All I can think of is that eternity for martyrs somehow will be well worth it. For some reason, God allows strutting Herods and Hitlers, Mussolinis and Stalins, and many, many more to do their evil deeds against God's people for a season. But they don't last long, and his church marches on throughout history and eternity. In this story, we see that God did not spare James with a divine miracle from, from the sword of Herod Agrippa, just as he had not John the Baptist from Agrippa's uncle Antipas or the innocent children of Bethlehem from his grandfather, Herod the Great. But God did spare Peter here for a time. Now I know that Acts says constant prayer was offered to God for Peter by the church, and it does not say that in reference to James, but I'm quite sure that constant prayer was also offered to God for James as well. And the church likely had more faith for James's release than for Peter's. In fact, James's execution would have meant for them that God might allow the same fate for Peter. And it looks like it had had that effect on the church because as Acts tells us about this young girl Rhoda responding to the knock on the door of the gate by Peter in verse 14 it says when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness she didn't open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate but what did the praying church say to her well they said to her you are beside yourself yet she kept insisting that it was so so they said it is his angel. So it seems like they thought that he was already dead. Verse 16 says, Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. So they were obviously not full of faith for Peter's release as they prayed, and yet God intervened anyway, and Peter was miraculously released where James had been executed. Why? Well, the answer cannot be because of the prayer of faith by believers. No, the answer is quite simple. 
It is because it was God's will. But that does not mean that we should not bother praying. We don't know what God's will is. And we ought to pray until the end or until we get a word from God to know what his will is. By praying, we are acknowledging God's sovereignty and God's power in every situation. In this case, James's time on earth was through. His work on earth was done. He had fulfilled God's purpose and God chose for him the crown of a martyr when his time was up. Wasn't that similar to his master Jesus, though Jesus was not a martyr? Near the end of Jesus's ministry, he said to his father, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. That James was to follow his master in this was foretold by Jesus in Matthew 20, 23, when he said, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. In fact, even the massacre of the innocents by Herod the Great had been foretold by Jeremiah. And I'm sure that Jesus knew that his forerunner, John the Baptist, was not coming out of jail. He was going to be beheaded. And it must have been so hard for Jesus to hear that despairing message from John in Herod's dungeon, who had been certain that Jesus was the Messiah, but was then there asking Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Imagine Jesus had to carry that knowledge too. Friends, we're only human. And when times are tough and God is not responding to our prayers as we think his character should, our faith often falters unless we have a specific word from him in our time of need. And that's okay because God, God knows who we are and what we are made of. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, as Psalm 103:14 says. But God, through the Holy Spirit, can and often does give us his word of comfort and encouragement in those times if we ask him to. You see, God knows everything. Jesus knew and foretold that his apostle Peter would deny him on that awful night in the cold, dark courtyard of the high priest with others accusing him of being Jesus's disciple. But he also knew that later on, Peter would die for him. He foretold that too. If you think of it, Jesus had given Peter a word regarding his death for Jesus in Galilee after his resurrection. In John 21, 18, in Galilee, Jesus said to Peter, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you 
where you do not wish. Well, was Peter old when he lay there in that prison cell, chained to guards on each side awaiting the morning after Passover? When Herod would want to make an example of him like he did James? No, he was not old. And even though I'm sure that Peter's mind was on his Lord that night being Passover, and I'm sure Peter was now ready to join Jesus in heaven if need be, Peter also knew that he was not going to die then because of Jesus' words to him earlier, saying, when you are old. He wasn't old yet. So Peter was probably simply praying that he would be a bold witness for Jesus the next morning, as he had been before. He was probably praying that the Holy Spirit fill him with boldness and fill him with divine words preparing for his defense, as Jesus had foretold him and the others this. He said, you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Mark 13, 9 and 11. So Peter didn't know how he would be, be delivered from death this time around or when, but he knew that he would be because of Jesus' word to him earlier. Don't you wish that we could have words like that? Well, the good news is that we do. We also have words of Jesus that we could hang on to today and every day in difficulty. We have words like, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Matthew 6, 25, 26. We have words like this from Jesus. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. We have many words like that. In Matthew 7:11, Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? We have words of Jesus saying, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 
28 to 30. Matthew 16, 25, says, Jesus says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke 10, 20, Jesus says, Rejoice, because your names are written in heaven. Luke 12, 7, The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. Luke 12, 22 to 26, which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? If you then are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Luke 12, 29, 32, Jesus says, do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He says in John fourteen twenty three, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He says in John fourteen twenty seven, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Those are Jesus's words to us. And Jesus's words take away our fear. Meditate on them. Jesus's words tell us that he knows all about us. They tell us that we are God's children too. God is our Father. He is in control. And, and Jesus himself is interceding for us. Getting back to Acts 12, even Peter didn't expect what happened next. His supernatural escape led by an angel, while Peter supposed that he was simply seeing a vision. Well, what about us in all our hours of need? Will Jesus not be with us too, as he was with Peter, and give us a word of encouragement or, or a miraculous deliverance if we are his servants? He will not always deliver us, but he will be with us in the midst of our suffering and reward us with his presence. That is what we must hang on to in our times of trouble when they come upon us. God is still in control. Jesus is interceding for us. And we, his church, march on in his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for these words that you give us, that you gave your disciples and we are your disciples. So we too can hang on to these precious promises of you not only knowing everything about us, but also caring and being with us, being with us always, as you said, even to the end of the age. And Lord, we thank you for that, that you are, Lord, here with us, Lord, in every, every time of trial, Lord, no matter how severe it is, you are here and we Lord, just hang on to that in faith and ask you to minister, 
Lord, um, a sense of your presence and your word to us in the midst of our trials, Lord, and always help us to know your presence and to, to speak with you and hear from you all the time. We thank you and praise you for all of you that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.